Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our Astros A's postgame show. That'll be momentarily hijacked by us singing Ding Dong, the witch is dead for the first 10 minutes. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, the McNair family woke up from their coma. Everybody's favorite Houston sports pinata, Bill O'Brien, gets the pink slip. Now this is an October surprise. Well, your Ding Dong, the witch is dead reference is perfect, Robert, because it is October and it is Halloween. So, you know, very well done, sir. Very well done. I, I thought that it was quite interesting this morning, and I believe it was Brian T. Smith who had a column. And this was, of course, before the news broke that said 99% of NFL teams would have fired their coach by now. Uh, yeah. Well, now I guess you can make that 100. It took long enough. And I'll be honest, Robert, I really was surprised, even though not not surprised so much because of the results. Obviously, the results speak for themselves. But just the way the McNair family has stuck by O'Brien all this time, we just we kept waiting and wondering, when is this going to happen? When is it? Are, are these guys blind and deaf? Do they not listen? And I think it was after we got through with the podcast on the Texans postgame the day before, Robert. You even made the comment to me is that McNair has got to be hearing it. He's got to be hearing it. Well, I guess he heard it, and he heard just about everybody else. In fact, if you, I, I'm surprised. Can you even hear me talking with all the screaming and yelling and whooping and hollering that's probably everybody in the city of Houston is doing right now? Yeah, I think I hear uh, cars being turned over in the street, and uh, oh yeah, it, it, it's it's nuts here. I, I guess Stephen, you're just not that upset that the Texans just fired the greatest head coach in team history. <laughs> well, I was kind of wondering if I was going to have to carry the show myself because I knew how broken up you would be about it. Um, look, you know, I, I never like to see anybody lose their job from a, a standpoint of just losing their job. I mean, you've been there, I've been there, but look, it, it's hard to feel sorry for a guy who's making way more money than you and I will will ever see in a lifetime. Well, you know, let, let's just be truthful here. Bill O'Brien was not getting the job done, and not only that, he was alienating fans. I mean, it, obviously, both just from the numbers standpoint and just the way he's acted around the fans with that uh, little incident he had last year. And, you know, when you alienate your fan base, and you can't really have too many fans in the stands to begin with, but that's not the point. When you alienate your fan base, your team continues to falter after making change after change after change, when you get all this power and you don't do anything with it, you just you've got to make a change. It's just, it has to happen. And I, I'm only surprised that it took them this long. That's that's really the the only other thing I'm surprised about besides the fact that they actually did it when the Texans were 0 and 4, instead of waiting for them to go, who knows what. It's hard to feel sorry for Bill O'Brien when you hear stuff like this, uh, according to. Sources. This is from Aaron Wilson. He said when Bill O'Brien fired people over the years, he did so with a lot of F-bombs and orders to get the F out of the building immediately. That was not how he was dismissed by Kyle McNair, though. Yeah, I would think the McNairs would handle that a whole lot better. And, you know, here's the thing is that I, I often wonder how many po potential Texans free agents didn't come here because of Bill O'Brien. I mean, there are some things that have come out. Yeah, you know, the the way that Dwayne Brown felt, you know, when he left, and then some other players, and and just 
how he totally mishandled so many other players, you know, in Case Keenum's book. I think Case even talked about, you know, some of that. So it kind of makes you wonder, you know, what were the Texans missing out on as far as bringing guys in who, you know, who would want to play for a coach like Bill O'Brien? And I also think, Robert, and I couldn't help but wonder this, the first four games of this season, you know, with the exception of oh, the second half of the Vikings game and some flashes against the the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Steelers, the Texans just looked lifeless. And I, I couldn't help but wonder, have they tuned O'Brien out? Have they just quit listening to him? Are they sick of him? Just as the fans are sick of him. So now you have to wonder, uh, you know, with Romeo Cornell being the interim head coach, is it going to give the Texans some new life, you know, at least temporarily? It, it's an emotional thing, and they don't last forever. But that's that's kind of what I wonder moving forward. How about Kubiak and Dom Capers putting the nail in Bill O'Brien's coffin? <laughs> wow, how sweet is that? Yeah, the, the photo op, the three coaches, you know, they had their photo op, the, the three Texans coaches in their history. And the day after that, O'Brien gets the pink slip. So, yeah, I guess we can we can give some credit to Gary Kubiak and Dom Capers. Why not? Yeah. And, and, you know, I had about 30 minutes to be happy about this as a Texan fan. And then I read another Aaron Wilson tweet that just was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So according to his tweet, he said football operations man or football operations guy Jack Easterby expected to be instrumental in advising Cal McNair on coaching search as team replaces fired Bill O'Brien. What? You mean the Joel Osteen wannabe who's been advising Bill O'Brien <laughs> on all this stupid crap that he's been doing? The guy who carries a backstabbing knife in every one of his pants pockets is is the guy they're putting in charge now? <laughs> well, and I, it makes me wonder, okay, so he's going to advise on the coaching search. What about the GM search? Does this mean he's going to be instituted as the GM? Think about that for a second, Robert. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing. I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I guess this means the Texans make a, another run at Nick Casario. And since we haven't, you know, since we can't have parties at the moment, Easterby and the Texans, they're not going to get yelled at by Bill Belichick when they're trying to sneak uh, Casario out of the party. <laughs> no, not this year. Um, so, yeah, I guess it, it is tempered somewhat because, look, this is – it's a move that had to be made, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Texans are suddenly going to turn into a Super Bowl contender anytime soon, especially with all the draft choices, the all the high draft choices they've lost, and just all the personnel moves that have been made to put them in the position they are. So I think, you know, as much as everybody is celebrating, let's remember where the team is at this point. But hey, you, you can't, you, there's nowhere to go but up, right? That That's kind of where I'm looking at it right now. The problem with celebrating anybody getting fired by the Texans is the same jokers that hired them and then enable them. The McNairs are the ones that are in charge of hiring the next person. Well, that's true. And of course, even though Cal McNair, you know, wasn't actually the owner when Bill O'Brien came in, he's still part of the family and is still carrying on the team basically the way his dad did. He, he stuck by O'Brien for quite a while. So that is a point to consider. Nobody knows less football, apparently, than the McNairs. And, you know, Stephen, this isn't hard. Uh, everybody in Houston knew all the moves that they were making were, making were stupid. Everybody in Houston uh, knows what's wrong with this team. Everybody in, in the NFL knows what's wrong. Every other GM, every other coach, every other player. This is not hard. Football, you know, you and I are just, we sit, sit, we sit at home. 
I, I mean, I, I've watched football and you've watched football our whole life. We, we haven't coached it. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, we're not considered like, you know, inside guys. We don't know X's and O's, but you can see just as a general football fan, this is, this is just basic stuff that they've muffed one thing after another, especially as a GM. I mean, and that's what, that's the problem is not only, you know, did Bill O'Brien screw you in the immediacy, but he's also screwed you so much. You mentioned the first and second round pick that they lost. You know, we just talked about it in the post game show. They, they, they might have whiffed on every single draft pick that they made in last year's draft. And of course they didn't even have a first round pick, not to mention the fact that you, you know, you already given away every good asset that you had for nothing. This team is in, in a cap situation until the end of next year. You got to wait till you can cut a Whitney Merciless or you can cut, um, I don't know, a, a Zach Cunningham or, or some of the other Nick Mark. I don't know all these yeah, contracts. The Nick Martin, a lot of the guys that you're, that we've talked about who have signed these big contracts, that's, that's where you're headed, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, let me, let me give you the guy. Okay. I'll give you the guy that I would go after. I don't know. I don't know about a GM. Um, maybe Nick Casario wouldn't be a bad GM because he was somebody that's, he's been pursued by other people and, you know, if if Easterby gets out of the way and and gets brings in Casario and just gets the hell like you go in another room now, you know maybe and maybe Casario would want to come, you know immediately would want to jump to it because he didn't like Bill O'Brien. So maybe that that could be a good thing. That's if Easterby gets the hell out of the way because Casario's got a pretty good resume. But you know the first, the Texans' first head coach interview. I, I can't tell you, I'm not a, a, a guy that knows every GM that would be the best guy, but the first head coach interview should be public be enemy number one. I mean, Stephen, how can Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric be enemy not be the first phone call? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I, and I think the catch here is you you said it, the, the top leadership needs to get out of the way. And, and sometimes that, you know, that's the problem is that I think sometimes you try to be too hands-on and you keep getting in the way and the results keep speaking for themselves. I mean, the sample size has been big enough. You know, we, we could sit here and talk all day about what you and I have seen and what a lot of the media have seen, what a lot of the fans have seen. Yeah, I know we're not on the inside. We, we don't know everything that goes on inside the team. But what is it they say? Sometimes you can be too close to the situation and you can't take a step back and look and see what the results have been and what it's done to your organization, that's what the McNairs need to do. And, and that's how, to me, that's the only way that they're going to come forward with real leadership through a general manager and through a head coach that can get the job done. If they would just get sensible and get out of the way when they need to and let those people they put in place do what they need to do, but make sure that they get people in place that know what they're doing. That's really the big key. The other issue is that usually you would be, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just like set up for draft picks. As we've talked about, there are, not, there are no draft picks to set up. So you still got to figure out a way to win football games. And, and just looking forward, you know, it's tough because what are you going to do? You're, you've got the same guys pretty much that were in the building making the decisions and, and doing the things that they were not doing very well to begin with. Now you can't go out and just grab somebody because they know they're a short timer looking at, you know, somebody else coming in as a head coach. Cause Romeo, obviously not the long-term answer. We all know that, No. but his first move, Steven should be to name Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator, not a big Wade fan long-term, but nobody's better than Wade. in that first year, he's the girlfriend you fall madly in love with for a while before you start realizing 
uh oh, there could be some issues, maybe some deep deep stuff that I forgot. I did, I did I missed it or something like that. Or or the X, you know, that you get back with because he's been you know he's been around before. It's the X you get back with, uh, you know, because that fire comes back and then you realize, oh wait, now I remember why we broke up in the first place. But from a short term standpoint, uh, yeah, there's nobody better than Wade Phillips. Yeah, he's getting up there in age, but look, the guy can still coach. At least you know get you through the rest of the season, and it will be interesting to see Robert. Are they gonna you know is I just I don't know that Romeo is going to clean out the coaching staff. I, but but it could happen. I mean, we were wrong about O'Brien being fired this early, so you know nothing's off limits. But that's uh, you know there, there's clearly got to be some major changes going on here. And we talked about looking outside the Texans' door. You know that's certainly something that needs to happen long term. I, I certainly believe that. Yeah, I mean, you can't do anything because any coach that you really would want to have as a coordinator or an assistant or whatever, that guy's got a job. And why is he going to leave his job to be maybe a short-term guy in Houston? It just doesn't make any right. sense. Right. Well, it's too early in the season. I mean, it's only four games in, and you just you're, you can't make those kind of sweeping changes. But it's nice to think about in the sense of, you know, but but clearly some strategies have to change. And, you know, we, we've been critical of Cornell and how he's handled the defense the last couple of years. But, you know, maybe taking a fresh step back in the role that he's been in, you know, maybe that'll give him some fresh perspective and he can guide Anthony Weaver in the right direction, at least through the rest of this season. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, if, if nothing else, maybe the Texans can just catch some fire because there is something different and the players are playing for a different coach, playing for a different reason. So, I mean, I guess we're going to keep an eye on this situation. Um, Don't know much else. I mean, we're talking to you guys right after, the Astros ended things. So there's going to be some details that come out. I'm sure some more information. Uh, I just tried to find out what I could in the meantime, but let's go over to October surprise. Number two on a Monday, the Astros offense. Wow. That was fun. Uh, Steven, Steven, the way the balls jumped out of the ballpark, especially with how the outfielders were reacting to them. I was thinking maybe Rob Manfred had something to do with it. Maybe you watched the Astros and the A's <laughs> offense of the first round and brought in those old super balls that we were using in the last couple of years. Yeah, it kind of made you wonder. I mean, you know, I know a number of commentators and, you know, people on Twitter were talking about the fact that in the daytime in Dodger Stadium, when it's warm, the balls do tend to carry. And boy, were they carrying. And it was on both sides. You know, Lance McCullers, for all the problems he's had, Giving up home runs really hasn't been one of them. He's only given up, I think, two or three the whole season up until this game one. So, you know, but but the fly balls were definitely carrying. And then later in the game, you know, there were a couple of fly balls that you thought were going to go out that didn't. So it, it definitely was a strange day. But thank goodness that the Astros bats finally woke up and your main guys, you know, your, your Correa's, your Springer's, your Altuve's, they had nine of the Astros' 16 hits. Now, that's the kind of lineup. that That's more like it. That's the Astros' lineup we've been waiting to see, you know, really since last season. Yeah, Springer was four for five. Altuve, two for four. Uh, Bregman, two for four. Kyle Tucker, two for five. Correa, three for five. Up and down the lineup. All the guys that y- you mentioned, Stephen. And then... Um, we're going to get to the pitching in a little bit, a little bit later, but you knew that if baseballs were flying out, all Carlos Correa had to do was get the ball into the air. Not sure I've ever seen somebody generate the bat speed through the zone the way he does. 
That quickness and bat speed, you know, we talk about, you know, how players try to bulk up and have a lot of muscle, but, you know, a lot of it is that bat speed and what you do with your legs to follow through with your swing. And, yeah, that the, the, the interesting things about Correa's home runs, I mean, he's hit three home runs in the last two postseason games. All of them have been to straightaway center, and they've been shots, too. So, yeah, they've all been straightaway to center field, and three in two games. I mean, talk about warming up, getting getting a hot bat, or hotter than a depot stove, as Milo Hamilton would say. Carlos Correa's got it. And you know something else, too, Robert? He was showing some mo- emotion during the, the two home runs he hit today. The first time around, he was yelling toward the Astros dugout the whole time he was running around the bases. And then on his second home run, he pointed to the Astros bullpen, and then he put his hand to his ear as he was walking by the A's dugout. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to get to that in just a bit of a kind of related to what you're you're saying, but you know, I, I want to talk about somebody that has just been, you know, doing his job and doing what we know he can do for the last month, and that's George Springer, and since he had four, the four strikeouts in game 1 of the 2017 World Series, this is a great stat because I, I did a little research while the game was going on. George Springer's playoff numbers at Dodger Stadium are 11 for 18 with three home runs and three doubles. Mm. His well, free agent price is going up, Stephen. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just went up even more than it already has had, you know, especially with the September he had. And it is just kind of piggybacking on that. And, you know, with Springer having four hits, you know, they've only been, I think, five other times that an Astros player has had four hits in the uh, postseason, in a postseason game. And uh, Springer did it today. The last one, of course, Marwin Gonzalez, he did it, I believe, in 2018. Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran. Uh, Gurriel did it in 2017. Correa did it in 2015. And then Beltran did it in 2004. And, and, and then you got uh, go- don't, don't forget my, my the fan favorite, uh, uh, well, at least for me anyway, my, I'm a fan of this guy. Uh, Terry Poole. I was just going to say he did it in 1980 against the Phillies. So yeah, I was, he was, I was saving him for last. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were just talking about that, right? We were talking about, they, they replayed that 1980 uh, playoff series when the Astros were uh, on hi- hiatus with the COVID virus. That's right. Yeah. When uh, I guess when everything was shut down, they showed that game. I don't get it up here. Was that on uh, AT&T Sportsnet, I believe? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't get it here in Austin. So, but I know you saw it cause you texted me about it. So yeah, that, I mean, he's in good company there, and that's just, yeah, George Springer, he, he can, you can call Reggie Jackson Mr. October there in, in New York, but we will happily take that label for the Astros with George Springer, especially in Dodger Stadium. And Mr. October the 4th is Alex Bregman because, or I'm sorry, Mr. October the 5th, I should say, Alex Bregman, right, because right. he's hit a home run in the postseason uh, for the fourth straight year on October the 4th. And that, by the way, is his first postseason home run, the one that he had in this one against a non-All-Star. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bummed about that because I enjoyed saying it, but that whole October 5th thing, uh, that that's the new thing we can say. Can we just extend October 5th, you know, through the rest of the postseason uh, so that Alex Bregman can keep hitting home runs? I mean, we could we could make it a local holiday. October 5th could be Alex Bregman Homer Day. You mentioned Correa putting his, you know, hand up to his ear. I was thinking after that Altuve two-run single, I fully expected Dodger fans to break into the ballpark and tear 
off Altuve's jersey to look for buzzers. <laughs> yeah, all the jokes are going to come out now, but you know, it was just it was good to see that the Astros had some fire, not just in their bats, but uh, what was it? Uh, the commentators, the TV commentators, were saying after Game One of the Minnesota series how lifeless they looked. Well, they looked anything but lifeless in Game One of this series for sure. You know, not just with the bats, but with some of the emotion they showed after some of the plays they made. Yeah, lots of good stuff in this game. We haven't talked about the pitching, and and that's where I, well, mostly where I want to go next because, you know, early in the show we talked about old Bob getting the axe, but the next Houston coach on the chopping block, I'm afraid it needs to be Dusty Baker. I mean, I hate to say this after three straight postseason wins, but. Yeah, you know, I'm losing track of his just really perplexing, I would almost say dumb decisions so far in the playoffs. I, I, unless they start hearing really good explanations for this stuff. But let me start off with the two obviously bad decisions that he made today. I think they're obvious. You can tell me if I'm wrong here, Stephen. But number one, Lance McCullers, who at best is the Astros' third best starter, somehow starts over from Bravaldez, who's the Astros' obvious best pitcher right now. And among the many stupid parts about McCullers pitching game one is that he's coming off Tommy John surgery. So if there's a potential game five in four days, you can't bring back a guy recovering from TJ surgery. I don't think you can. And, you know, but you could have brought back Fromber. He's a young, young guy. And, and your game five starter should have been Christian Javier, but you used him with a three run lead. And this one, what? I don't get this. Yeah, you know, if this had been against the White Sox, I would say you probably try to save Fromber just because of how great they were against left-handed pitchers. But, you know, in this series, yeah, you, Fromber Valdez is your best pitcher by far. You got to start him in game one. I mean, the only thing I can think of is because McCullers hasn't pitched in over a week. You know, if you saved him to game three or what have you, who knows whether he'd be even more rusty. And he had been pitching well since coming off the injured list. He hadn't allowed an earned run in 17 and two-thirds innings, I think. You know, it pitched well. But regardless of that, he has been up and down. And he just – a lot of the pitches he made were just right down the middle. You know, even his fastball – one of the home runs that was hit, fastball right down the middle. Another one, a breaking pitch right down the middle, a double. uh, You know, a pitch that was down – he obviously wasn't locating his fastball – the curveball is is certainly his pitch, this, but, but this you, is for, this is Lance McCullers though. I mean, this is this is his entire career. And this nutshell. is what you get with him, right? Right. So I mean, you've got to have more than just one pitch to get you by, and it clearly didn't happen. You know, he's only fortunate that the Astros bats finally did come alive. You know, when they did, otherwise we'd be looking at an zero and one. You know, the, the A's would be leading one game to none, absolutely in this series. And this was worst case scenario because because of Lance McCullers doing what he does, not getting deep into ball games. So, you know, this is his M.O. They had to use the entire bullpen and, and we're in game one of the series. Well, but, the, the you know, the comforting thing, too, is the A's did the same thing. You know, he and uh, Chris Bassett, they, they came out pretty much at the same time in the fifth inning. So the A's went through their bullpen quite a bit. But they but have a bullpen. We do not. They have. Well, <laughs> they do. Well, they didn't today, apparently, because the Astros scored 10 runs. But. You, your your point is well taken. And another reason I would have started Fromber in game one is for the same reason that you hope he can give you in game two, is that he could give you some innings. If he could give you six, maybe even seven innings, you know, that, that's probably a stretch, being a little more optimistic. But if he could do that in game one, then that gives your bullpen even more rest, and the Astros would clearly have an advantage. Well, 
You didn't do that. So now you have to hope he can stretch you out some innings in game two, and you don't have to use the bullpen as much. But knowing Dusty, it probably won't happen. (laughs) He'll take him out in the sixth inning or maybe earlier. Also, you know the whole story about Lance McCullers not pitching well on the road, and we know everybody's on the road for this game, but the Astros were officially the ones on the road, right? (laughs) Yeah, they were. They're going to be the home team again in game two. I'm sorry, the road team again in game two. They won't be the home team until game three. So, yeah, technically they were the road team, both in the fact of where they played and in the fact that, uh, you know, where the A's were the home team designated. All right, my number two thing with Dusty, and, and this is a lot more minor than the, the previous one, but this one is just a total head-scratcher to me, and luckily it didn't play a part in this game as, as much as it could have. But for some crazy reason, Josh Reddick was at DH instead of in right field, and even though we know the, you know, it's just like, even though we know the only thing he's halfway good at these days is this defense. I, I just, I, I was like, wh- why? why? Why is... Kyle Tucker, I mean, you know, obviously Josh Reddick hasn't been great recently on defense, but that's the one thing that he, we know that he can do well. Yeah, I was a little surprised at that too, especially, you know, putting Tucker in right field. I mean, at least in this game, he wasn't a liability, but wouldn't you rather have Kyle Tucker as your DH and concentrating on that, not have to worry about playing defense? And if if Reddick is, is going to be of any help to you in the lineup, it's going to be in right field, not at the plate. So, yeah, I, I had a little trouble with that one, too, kind of scratching my head going, okay, what what was the deal with that? You want to take one guess as to who the only Astro player that didn't get get a base hit of the regulars was today? <laughs> you know what? I think I I think I saw it earlier um, of the, the ones in the regular lineup. I'm trying to go through oh, the lineup. Yeah, yeah, this, was not a, this was not like a trick question. This was Josh Raddick. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say it was Raddick. Yeah, he didn't have a hit. I was trying to think if he had one, but he didn't. What about the rest of Dusty's decisions? Did you like, you know, the way he went to the bullpen and when he went to went to certain guys and et cetera, et cetera? Well, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to argue with Enoli Paredes. I mean, he looked great. Uh, Blake Taylor, you know, it, I mean, that run was charged to McCullers. It wasn't entirely his fault. Uh, he didn't completely falter. So not really. I mean, as I'm looking through here, I, I can't really see anything bad about it other than just the fact that you're, starting McCullers instead of perhaps going with your best pitcher in game one. That that was really the biggest thing for me. And Paredes, I have to say, he looked fantastic. Uh, Paredes was on point, two strikeouts, no hits, uh, zero walks. I mean, he was just perfect. And hopefully that means you can bring him back. It's two innings. Hopefully that means you can bring him back in a game three. Javier, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if he is now a bullpen guy, if they still want to start him and want to hold him back and still want to start him in a potential game five, I don't know what you do with him. I mean, Blake Taylor, obviously that's a guy that, that um, you can bring back. He's not somebody again is I'm super high on the confidence list. We went through our confidence list a, a few days ago, but I would <laughs> yeah. say he's, you know, he's a guy that I, I don't mind placing him at certain times. And, you know, you, you got a, a good inning out of Ryan Presley, which was was good to see, but he had five runs to work with. I mean, I, I I'm not one of those people that go, oh, but you don't need to use Ryan Presley because you're up five runs in a game like this when you you're in a shootout and the ball's sailing out of the ballpark. Just get a win, get the W, bring in Presley. Yeah, I didn't have any problem with him bringing Presley in, and you could always have somebody warming up if you thought he was going to get into trouble. And the good thing is he had a pretty efficient inning, so maybe he could go on uh, Tuesday if necessary. 
And that's the thing, you know, we're going to be playing these games all in a row. If it goes to full five games, there will be no off days. It'll be all the way through Friday. So really, it's anybody and everybody at this point. And as I said, you know, if, if Romer could just give you some innings, you know, and then in game three, if you start Urquidy, you hope that he can stretch it out. But, you know, the chances are the bullpen is going to be used a lot on both sides. And as we saw in game one, I mean, anything can happen. The, the storied A's bullpen, when the Astros only got two earned runs off of the whole season, uh, they caved. So you just never know, Robert. That, that's why this is the postseason. And that's why it's so exciting to watch. And I don't know what you think, but I really like this idea of playing all the games in a row and, and making teams show that they're teams and not just three or four pitchers. I, I, I would hope that Major League Baseball would consider this moving forward. I mean, if, if you're a fan, you know, maybe you're like, well, I want to see more of Verlander or Max Scherzer or whatever in a series. But as, as a fan of my particular team, I'm like, you know, I, I want this kind of deal because this shows me who the best team is and not who the best team with three or four great starting pitchers and who knows what else they've got. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I think the main reason they have the off days is for the travel days. Well, you don't have that to contend with now. And it does force you to basically flex out your team, give everybody a shot. And that's when anything can happen. And that's, of course, you know, from a fan standpoint, that's what makes the postseason even more exciting than it already is. But the thing is, this isn't – I don't think this is the NBA where, you know, you, you, you talk about travel days. Baseball, there's plenty of times during the regular season where you don't get a day off in the middle of se- between oh, no, series. Oh, no, you don't. You don't. You, you may play an afternoon game the day before or the last game of a series. But, yeah, there's there's plenty of days that you go to the next city the same day and then play the next day. Any final thoughts on the Astros? I mean, it's, we're going to be right back at this in about 24 hours. Yeah, I, I mean, just surprised. I, I really thought that, you know, when they got down, I just I didn't know if the bats, the way they've been going, you know, could get any kind of momentum, especially the way McCullers was pitching. But, boy, that that whole, you know, the, the fourth inning, then the sixth and seventh, it just turned everything around. So now it's it's anybody's series. The Astros are up one to nothing. And it just it, it's it's good to see that they're at least playing better. The, the way they have been typically playing in the postseason than they were during the regular season. So uh, it's, it's, it's great to see. Just wonder if they can keep it up. Yeah, what a day for Houston fans. The Astros win 10-5, game one of the American League Division Series. 10 hits, excuse me, 16 hits, I, I should say. 10 runs on 16 hits. And they look like the old Astros, the old Astros hitters that we're all used to. And then, oh yeah, there's that other thing, Bill O'Brien, the Wicked Witch is gone. Thank goodness. And maybe a pall has been lifted over the city of Houston, Stephen. We could, I, I feel like I could breathe a little bit better without Bill O'Brien around. <laughs> well, you just knew, especially, you know, how down we were after the, after the Vikings game, Robert. And, I, you know, I know we try not to, to make it seem that way on the podcast, but it's hard not to feel. Just, just remember how we felt one day ago and wondering if things were going to get better. Well, you know, from a from a standpoint of winning games, don't know yet. But at least, as you said, it, a burden has been lifted. This is something that probably should have been done at the end of last season, and, and really even before that, but certainly after last season's debacle in Kansas City, and it wasn't. And so it carried over into this year, and the first four games, you're just going, oh, my goodness, 
How long is this going to go on? So the Astros win, and Bill O'Brien gets fired. It's October 5th. It's it's also, it would have been my mom's 80th birthday if she were still here on Earth. So you know what? I think I have to give a little credit to my mom. I think she knew how disgusted I was with Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I'm sure she had something to do with, you know, whispering in Cal McNair's ear to get him out of here. The one thing I, I thought, you know, the firing of Bill O'Brien, as much as we were ready for a Dom Capers or a Gary Kubiak to go, you know, this is so different because he wasn't just somebody that was not good at his job or jobs, like multiple, 14 different jobs that he had. But it was the fact, Stephen, that he was tearing down the entire franchise with him, and he was somebody that everybody couldn't stand. Even if they screw up this hiring, you've got to think it's going to be somebody that's got a better Q rating than Bill O'Brien has. Well, you know what the difference is, Robert, is if you win. Because Bill Belichick's not the nicest guy in the world, and he's won bunches of Super Bowls. If Bill O'Brien had had taken the Texans to multiple Super Bowls— or at least, you know, gotten them close to that point consistently, we probably wouldn't be talking about that as much. But the fact is, he did the opposite. He he tore the team down and it got worse and worse. And yeah, they, they made, you know, they, they kept teasing us with these playoff appearances and these division titles. But when it came down to it, it was the same result. And then he started trading away good players. But you know what? If they had won, if they'd won a Super Bowl, Nobody be talking about this right now. That's the difference. Yeah, winning with jerks, unfortunately, sort of, it's like the ultimate salve for a lot of sports fans, which I don't know if I'm necessarily on that team anymore. Maybe when I was a younger man, I would feel that way, but not as much these days. But yeah, great, great stuff on a Monday for for Houston sports. And I hope everybody's doing great out there. Uh, Remember, you can message us through Twitter and Facebook, email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. And as always, stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.